0: Space Shuttle, this is Flight Safety. This podcast may contain at all themes and language. Listener discretion is advised. Please keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle while in motion. You are clear for launch. The following paragraphs are from Chapter 50 of a fan fiction titled The Little Buddy by today's guest fanfiction writer, InsomniacRider17. You ready, buddy? Billy nodded eagerly. So Steve stepped around the corner into the huge display. It was brighter in here, the light from the tank above and around them shining into the room. Billy gasped, frozen as he studied the room. They were surrounded by the gigantic aquarium, even above them. Turtles swam all around, and Billy honestly didn't know how to respond. Stevie, he whimpered, they're everywhere. Steve was watching Billy closely, grinning like a loon. "'Yeah, buddy, they are,' he whispered. Billy was craning his neck up to watch the turtle swimming above them, the light filtering through the water lighting up the blonde's face. His eyes were wide and watery as they darted around the room, but Steve knew the boy wasn't upset. A grin was firmly in place behind the pacifier while Billy reached tank out towards one of the aquarium walls. Steve took a few steps over so they were closer to the action. "'Good surprise?' Steve asked." using one arm to hug Billy closer. Yes, Billy insisted, his arms looping around Steve's neck to hug him tightly. The best. Steve kissed his cheek. Good, buddy. You want down so you can explore? Immediately, Billy was nodding, so Steve gently placed Billy on his feet, and Billy was running practically before he hit the ground. Steve was content to stand off to the side, watching the boy run around. Billy made rounds, moving to wherever there were the most turtles at that time, where he stood in the middle of the enclosure, looking up above him. Steve managed to get his act together enough to grab the camera, snapping one single photo of Billy standing in the very center of the room, Tank hugged tightly to his chest as he stared up at the ceiling. Then he slipped the camera back into the backpack and watched Billy happily, his own heart swelling at the innocence behind Billy's face. When Billy turned to him almost ten minutes later, Steve simply smiled. Which one's your favorite? Steve wondered as Billy scurried over, ducking beneath Steve's arm to cuddle up to his side. All of them? Billy giggled. This is so cool. He bounced eagerly on his toes. Thank you for finding this. Billy's voice was soft, and Steve smiled. Anything for you, he repeated, kissing the boy's cheek. We have a few minutes left in here so you can finish exploring, he offered. Billy shook his head, tightening his grip on Steve. We'll Want to stay with you, Billy murmured. Steve could have melted right there. Wordlessly, Steve tightened his grip on Billy. All right, up with you then. We've got turtles to see. Steve smiled, waiting for Billy to jump back into his arms. Steve adjusted his weight accordingly then began to walk slow circles around the enclosure as Billy laid his head on Steve's shoulder. The brunette used his free hand to rub up and down Billy's back while Billy held Tank out, moving him up and down as if he was swimming by the tanks. Where's he going, Steve wondered. He running away? No, just exploring, Billy murmured around the pacifier. He wouldn't run away, safe here. Steve didn't verbally answer him, afraid that if he did, he would give away the fact that he was incredibly emotional in that moment. So instead, Steve squeezed Billy tighter. Stevie? Hmm? Steve cleared his throat. What's up, buddy? You make me feel safe. Billy's voice was just above a whisper, slightly lisp from the pacifier still stuck between his lips. And now, yes... Steve was crying a bit. I'm so glad, buddy, Steve whispered back, turning to smile tearfully at the boy in his arms. That's all I want for you. Billy leaned forward, pressing the pacifier to Steve's cheek and making a quiet kissing noise. You handing out kisses now? Steve chuckled wetly, smiling at Billy. The blonde's cheeks were suddenly tinged red, and Steve pressed their foreheads together, I'm so happy you trust me, Bills. To the north, south, east, and west, four corners of the world, greetings from the wild-era desert of the American Southwest. I'm your host, Chaos Blue... And this is the Fanfic Maverick podcast. Today's guest fan fiction writer, I'm so excited, is Insomniac Writer 17. She's been a member of AO3 since 2016 and has 18 fan fictions posted so far for five seconds of summer. And of course, stranger things. Insomniac writer loves writing, reading, and watching movies with friends. Not once, but twice, her fanfics have led to in real life friendships that mean the absolute world to her. And uh, when she's not reading and writing, she's probably watching TikTok. (laughs) Insomniac has been writing fanfiction for over a decade across different websites and usernames. And she says that one of her biggest accomplishments is finishing the Little Buddy series, which we will be talking about at length today on the podcast. I'm so excited. Hell yes, Insomniac rider 17. Welcome to Fanfic Maverick. How you doing?
1: I am so good. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited.
0: Good. I'm so excited that you're here. I have been wanting to talk to you forever, and I'm sure that I'll say more about that <laughs> later on in the show. But of course, I want to start from the beginning of your fanfiction story. Everybody has that moment where we discover fan fiction for the first time. Oh yeah. So I want to know your history with that. How did you first discover fan fiction?
1: You know, I have not ever met a single person who's ever heard of this and maybe today's the day that changes. My very first interaction with fan fiction was on YouTube way back in like the mid to late thousands. People would make YouTube videos that would take character photos from shows and i remember very vividly like a high school musical one <laughs> where they would take character photos and place them on a video with pieces of dialogue and it was just like a story with some music background behind it and people had like these 150 part episodes where they were writing fanfic through a youtube video and it feels like a fever dream because any time I've ever brought it up, people just look at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> yeah, you're describing fan fitting. Yeah, okay. Does it have a name? <laughs> yeah,
0: fan fitting. I want to say, well, I don't know exactly what decade it started. What I know is that people were doing this in the 80s and 90s when all we had was like cassette tapes and things like that. And people were actually sitting there and splicing film
1: together. Oh, I love that. Right? Isn't that cool? <laughs> that is so cool. Oh, I feel so validated now. I. <laughs> yeah, it's a thing.
0: And I remember, I mean, I, I never went to a convention like this, but I have heard through the grapevine that there were conventions where people would actually have, um, what do you want to call it? Like fan vidding contests or events or things like that. So you could actually bring your fan vid project to like conventions and stuff and you could show it to, you know, other fans and stuff like that. It was just very cool. So I think that's really cool that, obviously, like it moved to YouTube when YouTube became a thing. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, and that would have been, that was probably in like 08, 09 for me, based on the fact that I can very vividly remember High School Musical being part of that. (laughs) Um, But then as far as like finding fan fiction, the traditional term, like the story style fan fiction, is I was in high school, and bear with me, I could not get enough of Glee fanfiction when Glee was the thing.
0: Oh, I've read so much Glee fanfiction. Uh, like, I am with you.
1: On I, yeah, my friend came to school one day, because there were like three of us in this itty-bitty school that watched Glee, and we were bullied mercilessly for it. But that's another story for another day. But she came in, and she was like, you have to read this. And she sent me a link to, and and maybe if you were in Glee fanfic, maybe you've heard of this, is that fic called Dalton. And I cannot remember the author's name, but she handed that to me. And I was like, what is this? And she was like, it's a story about the characters in Glee that aren't actually Glee. And I was like, oh, like sat down to read it. And then tore through it as quickly as I possibly could and then would scour fanfic.net for hours to find anything that brought me nearly as much serotonin as that story did. <laughs> now when she handed this to you, was this actually like physical paper that she oh, handed over to you? No, she texted me the link to the website. She's like, you have to read this. Got it.
0: Okay. Okay. And then that's how you found the site, right? Fanfic. Yeah, I
1: hadn't I hadn't known it existed at that point. And so she was like, here, you have to read this. And then I was like reading it and then went, is there more of this? And she was like, there's so much of this. And I'm pretty sure that every class I was in for like a week, it was just like, let me get on my phone and just scroll through fanfic.net, see what I could find.
0: (laughs) It becomes addictive at that point a little bit, right? Yeah, like eating potato chips or
1: something. <laughs> oh, yeah. You open the bag and you're just, you You can't do anything about it now. hundred <laughs> no. percent.
0: No. Do you remember what it felt like reading that
1: first one? Like, were you amazed? Were you like shocked? Were, do you remember what it, what it felt like? I was pretty shocked because I had never had the thought to take something and change it. And for lack of a better term, like they had this story, they had these characters and somebody was able to sit down and think about these characters that didn't really have a place in the show. And then they were like, we're going to create a place for them. And I just remember being so incredibly shocked to see that not only did that author build this world, but it became its own fandom. Like Glee became Dalton, became its own little corner of the internet and I just thought that was the coolest thing and it was that whole when you're a teenager you know I'm one of the only people that knows this exists so I'm so much cooler than everybody else because the mainstream (laughs) people don't know this is here the normies don't know the normies don't know about this this is just (laughs) for us um yeah but then in, in true me fashion I've never been able to just casually like something and so my friend was like, just kind of offhandedly like, you have to read this. It's really cool. And then she was happy to leave the conversation there. And I'd come back every day and be like, oh, my God, we have to talk about this. Oh, my God. Did you read this? Oh, my God. did the, You know, and she was like, yes, I read it. <laughs> and it was like, oh, OK, so I need to find other people who are as into this as I am. I got you. Thank you so much for for like cursing me with this hyper obsession or whatever you want to call it she created a monster (laughs) she created a monster so you know what somewhere out there we can thank her because probably without her i don't i don't know if i would have fallen into fan fiction oh there's the dog (laughs) hi dog
0: Dogs are always welcome on <laughs> FFMs, just so everybody knows. I love them so much. Um, so shout out to Anonymous Friend, and thank you so much for introducing <laughs> Insomniac to fanfiction because I know I personally have benefited from that <laughs> over the years. I'm so happy. <laughs> I love that. Um, I have some strange like follow-up questions for you. Sure. Because, um, you know, I remember Glee. I was working at a law firm at the time and I remember, okay, this is weird, but I remember that it wasn't the ladies at the office that were coming around the water cooler the next day to discuss the Glee episode at the office. It was the attorneys, the dude attorneys at the law firm that were gathering around the water cooler to talk about last night's Glee episode. And I just thought that was so funny, but I do remember the Glee craze, right? So my question for you is kind of a two-parter. Do you remember if the experience of reading Glee fanfiction felt different to you than the feeling of watching Glee on TV? And then the second part of that question is um, after you discovered Glee fanfiction, Do you remember your experience with Glee, the TV show, being different after that, after you discovered the Glee fanfiction? I'm just kind of wondering if there was any sort of difference to you in how you experienced the canon material after you discovered fanfiction.
1: I think so. The experience between reading Glee fanfic and watching the show were so vastly different just because... You know, the show had its plot lines and its characters and everything, but then you would turn around and go to fanfic, and basically all of the authors were like, hey, you know that episode you just watched? Forget that happened. We're doing something totally different. So it felt like two different, completely different types of media, because you had just different storylines, you had different universes, and you had different pairings, and it just felt like a very different experience, but... Watchingly after finding fanfic, I don't know if maybe it made me trust the show a little less, but it made me enjoy it a little bit more because it was like, well, if this thing happened and I don't like it, I'm 99% sure that there's somebody else out there who also didn't like it, and if I give it like 48 hours, somebody's <laughs> gonna make a fix-it fic. Like they're going yes. to make this right. Yes. <laughs> Yes. You
0: know, the fandom
1: has your back. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, if you want something or you want a pairing or you want them to fix something that happened in the show, just give a fanfic writer enough time and you're going to have what you want. That's just how it works.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I was just so curious because I feel like I've had that experience so many times when I discover like the canon material first, you know? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's so cool. And then I start reading the fan fiction for that uh, particular, you know, universe or whatever. And I feel like it does in some ways fundamentally change my relationship with the canon after that point, you know, um, for lots of different various reasons. And I just think that's such an interesting phenomenon,
1: you know, (laughs) it is. And then, you know, there's also the other side of it, too, where, you know, once you start and I didn't I never really dove too far into writing for Glee fanfiction because it was all still so new to me at that point that I didn't know the like ins and outs of it like I didn't know if I could right and so but taking in media as a fanfic writer is a little bit different I feel like because I almost feel like I'm sitting there dissecting it looking for a way to make it my own like yes this is great but what can I do to make it more fitting to me like what can i do to make myself enjoy this more (laughs) yes you're not
0: engaging with it as a passive observer
1: yeah Yeah, exactly you
0: are engaging with it as a creator as somebody who wants to participate in the conversation in some fashion absolutely good i love it that's so cool well that's awesome that we both remember the glee craze back in the you know (laughs) what was that the 2010s i think right yeah like 2009 2010-ish yeah 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 somewhere around there where everybody was talking about glee but yes i totally remember that um so what has your journey through fandom looked like past that point like you had the glee thing and then what has your journey through fandom looked like after that
1: It's been a little crazy. Like I said, I've never been just like a casual enjoyer of things. I'm one of those people that if I like something, it's going to be my entire personality for the duration of the time that I enjoy the thing. And then there's a very real possibility that I'm going to put it down and walk away and be like, okay, I'm done. (laughs) So (laughs) I've always been the one to to like jump headfirst into fandoms. I want the tumblers. I want the fanfics, the video edits, the merch, all of it, which is kind of why it's, it's really interesting to like, if you go back and look through my internet experience... I've had multiple different tumblers, multiple different URLs, multiple different AO3s, because I've always been like, okay, here's the chapter that I'm in now. So let me write, let me reblog, let me do the thing. And then when it ends, I'm like, okay. And then when I pick up something else, it's like, well, I don't, I want to start fresh. I don't want to just continue where I left off because it's probably going to be a very different experience. And so it just, it jumps, but then Probably around 2018, 2019, I kind of had to hop out of fandom simply because life circumstances was not giving me the opportunity to devote time to the things I enjoyed. I was very much in a crisis, like just got to survive the day kind of thing. And anytime I was even trying to enjoy something my depression laughed in my face and was like I hope you enjoyed that 10 seconds that's all you're gonna get <laughs> oh no um oh but then right around probably 2011 20 or not 2011 2021 2022 for some reason I sat down to rewatch Stranger Things couldn't tell you why and it was like a flip switched and it was back and I had that joy back that I had had missing for so very long and it let me jump back in. And it's been one of the best things that's happened. And I, I, I still don't know what caused it to happen, but I was homesick, sat down, was like, I want to watch Stranger Things. And it was like the floodgates opened and it was like, OK, we're making up for lost time now.
0: <laughs> well, it sounds like you were just maybe ready at that point in your life, you know? Yeah. Like something was open and ready for you. And then lightning struck your brain at the exact (laughs) right moment. And honestly, Stranger Things is one of those. I feel like it's one of those um, shows that can absolutely do that. I also rewatched it you know I watched I ran through the whole thing the first time and was Mm -hmm. like oh that's so fun and then sometimes you do go back to things later and I always think that's kind of an interesting experience too because a lot of times when we encounter something for the first time we're in a very particular spot or perspective in our life and then when we go back years later to rewatch it we're a different person in some respect we've had more experiences more things happen to us (laughs) we're in a different headspace sometimes different perspectives so Sometimes it can be an entirely, completely new experience.
1: Yes. And that's, that's exactly what it was, is it was a totally new, I mean, I knew I had seen the show before, but just the way that it resonated and the way I interacted with it was so very different the second time around. And I think you're right. I think it's because I was I was a different person at that point.
0: That's so, so cool. And you say that that whole thing kind of like sparked an entire change of your life. In what ways would you say the whole getting back into fandom and stranger things changed your life
1: man it allowed me because I mean I think everyone can relate to the fact that like 2020 onward has kind of just been a dumpster fire in a billion different ways um, oh my god yes it, <laughs> preach in, in so many ways but that spark reminded me that like I can do things just because I enjoy them like there doesn't have to be an end goal there doesn't have to like, I'm not striving for something I'm not trying to complete a goal. Like I'm sitting down to watch a TV show because I want to sit down and watch a dang TV show because it makes me happy. Like I, there was so much of my life that in the the last five years or so I had gotten rid of in the name of doing better in my career, you know, getting the things I felt like I needed to as an adult. And it was one of those things where it was like, well, you know, I'm not consuming media the way I was prior, but it was like, I was a teenager. I was a kid then. Like, I had time to watch TV and write little stories and do things like that. But I'm an adult now. I can't do that. And I was able to have that cognizant thought of, like, no, you're an adult, so you can do those things probably with more freedom now than you did as a teenager. Exactly. Exactly.
0: And I love that. I love that. I have seen these fun posts sometimes running around Tumblr, and maybe you've seen them too, The ones that are like, hey, friendly reminder to everybody, like, you don't have to abandon all the things you loved as a kid just because you pay taxes now and (laughs) go to a job and, you know, have a mortgage and all those things. Exactly. We don't suddenly become completely different people with completely different interests, you know, necessarily like across the board. And it's okay for us to simultaneously enjoy adult things while also being like, oh,
1: and I also love fandom things, too. Both can be true at the same time. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And it was it was just that realization that both. Yeah, you said it really well that both can be true at the same time like you can be an adult and still enjoy all these things
0: yeah and i would even argue i mean if i was talking to someone who didn't get it i would even argue that i feel like that's an even like healthier way to go about things because you know as much as there are things about adult life i do enjoy you know to a certain extent (laughs) i feel like it's harder now, right, in our adult years to find those moments of joy sometimes. Like, you have to be pretty deliberate about it now. It's not like when we were kids and we just sort of, like, happened upon joy, like, every day somehow. Um, (laughs) Just trip over it. Yeah, we just tripped over it. And now it's like we have to create those experiences for ourselves and we have to make time for them and give ourselves permission to some extent because I feel like, I don't know about you, okay, this might just be me, but... (laughs) But I feel like there's this voice in the back of my head sometimes, and I don't know if it's my mother, I don't know if it's just like (laughs) society at large or whatever, but sometimes I feel like there's this voice in the back of my head that's always like, you have responsibilities, and you have these things that you must do, and you know, the taxes need to be done, and somebody needs to rake the leaves, and blah, 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 blah. And of course all those things have to happen. But like, where's the joy? Like, you know, I think it's very cool Those of us that have managed to prioritize joy in some respects, you know, and just be like, you know, yes, all of those like boring, mundane things have to happen. But it's also equally important that we have those moments of joy and creation and creativity in our lives as human beings as well. And I think that's that's fabulous. I think that's something that fandom people do well.
1: Yes. And I've enjoyed learning that. I I like how you said it, that you prioritize joy. And it's like, yes, I still have to go to work and do the things and, you know, pay my taxes and clean my house. But, you know, at the end of the day, I can crawl into my bed and snuggle my dog and read some fan fiction until I fall asleep. And that doesn't make me any less of an adult than anybody else in my life. Exactly.
0: It's just, you know, we're only here for this tiny little piece of time on this planet. We're here for a good time, right? Here for a good time. Not a long Not a long time. time. It's like, okay. I absolutely love that. So the other thing that I love is uh is hearing people's like general thoughts and opinions on fan fiction. And sometimes I like to phrase my question this way. It's a little weird, but I like it. If you had to give a 3-minute TED talk <laughs> about why you love fan fiction. I love TED talks. What would you want people to know about fan fiction?
1: You know, I adore the way that you worded that, but it it made it so hard to think about what I wanted to say because it made it sound so important. Like you're giving a Ted talk on fanfic <laughs> and go <laughs>
0: lights, camera, lights, camera, here you go. <laughs> but, you know,
1: and I, and I talked to with the, I talked with a friend about this the other night as I was kind of like going through these questions. And one of the things that I love about it is it gives you a chance to take these characters or these shows that you love and give them more love in whatever regard that may be. You can take a character that's been put through the ringer or has had these terrible things happen to them and you can just like bring them in for a little forehead kiss and give them a life partner or give them a better circumstance than they had in whatever media you saw them in. Or on the other hand, you can make their lives worse if that's what you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do and you can take what the show writers have done and basically say, screw it, I'm doing something different. And you can pair who you want together and put them in whatever situation you want. Like, is Billy Hargrove a barista? No, not in canon. But give me a Google Doc and enough caffeine, and he will be, and he will be falling in love with that one customer named Steve that comes in every day to order the exact same thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, you can just you can experience stuff however you want, whatever you want to see them do. These characters, it probably exists out there somewhere, and if it doesn't, you can do it yourself. And there's a high probability that somebody out there. Is going to come across it and say this is exactly what i've been looking for this healed a part of me i didn't know i needed to have healed and then i think i think the last thing is and you kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier is fan fiction can be divisive but it can also create a really awesome community because i have found friends that i wouldn't have met if i weren't writing fan fiction my very first online friend that i made and she's still one of my best friends it's been this this year will be a decade of friendship for us but i've noticed this 2014 and the reason we met is because i was on twitter and i in the middle of the night was like i need help with a one shot i just can't get it to where i need it to be does anyone want to help me and she rolled up into my dms and she was like i'm here to help tell me what i can do and we just connected from that point and i'm talking 10 years later and we've both been to visit each other and we hang out all the time and it's just it's been a really awesome experience that's grown past just an online fanfic like and for us it was five seconds of summer we've grown past it's we're talking about these fandoms that we're in and it's grown to real life friendships where you know we've talked about problems and good things and bad things and we have laughed together and cried together and she's just she's one of the most important people in my life and I sometimes have these moments where I'm like the only reason I have you is because I posted a silly little story on the internet that you read. And then I asked for help and you were like, I'm in. And boom, here we are.
0: Yes. Sometimes these things have the ability to connect us in ways that we never would have had without them. And isn't it so awesome to be able to look back? I mean, 10 years, right? Yeah. Like, that's incredible that you've had this Beautiful friendship for 10 years and you can look back at that and say thank God for fandom and thank God for fan fiction
1: Absolutely, it's so good. That is so
0: cool And you know, I really loved what you said when you were first starting to answer that question I feel like I've heard different iterations of that sentiment uh, more than once but for some reason something clicked when you said it that fan fiction I mean, obviously, it's a lot of things, right, but it does give us the ability to put our love for something somewhere, you know, like it has somewhere to go. And it is a mechanism for us to be able to caretake those characters that we love so much, which is an interesting urge that a lot of us do have when we fall in love with a particular character for whatever reason, with some of us, right? have that urge to like caretake them in some capacity. And you can do that in a story by giving them something nice
1: as a treat, you know? (laughs) Yeah, just a fun little treat for all that you've been through. (laughs)
0: Yes, yes, exactly. And I love that. I love like the the concept of that. That's so great, Um, you know, because like, I mean, people know this about me, but the hurt comfort type of, you know, dynamic uh, is such a big thing for me, so. When you were talking about, like, or we could hurt them, I was like, yes, we can do both. (laughs) We can hurt them and caretake and comfort them. It's so great. (laughs) It's a means to an end. (laughs) It is. It really, really is. Oh, my God. Okay, so we know how the thing with Stranger Things started for you. You know, you watched it the first time and then you went back and watched it again the second time. Do you remember if there were things that you noticed that second time around that
1: you didn't particularly notice the first time? Well, I think the first time I watched it through was just at a very i don't want to call it basic, but a very basic level. like I took in the story and enjoyed the story. It seemed like really unique at the time, and it had a really nice mystery vibe behind it without being like overly scary and so I was able to get that mystery and suspense in there without further terrifying myself because real life was scary enough as it as it was um but then when i went back and rewatched, and especially was able to look back at the the later seasons and the other characters that they'd introduced it was just for some reason was way easier to fall in love and relate to those characters because i i don't know why it just it was like there was something that i saw in most of the characters, there was something that I was able to pinpoint and say, oh, that feels like me. And that just made me want to consume it more. And like, for example, I fell in love with Billy's story and I wanted more of it. And that led me back into fan fiction because there's so, so many wonderful writers out there who have taken these characters and given them more depth than what the show writers were able to and gave me more reasons to love those characters. And there's a lot of times, even now, that I can't remember if there's a trait about a character, and, I, and not even just Billy, but most of the characters, that there's a like I have to sit and think for a second, like, this thing that I like about this character, is it because the Duffer brothers made them that way or did somebody else make them that way and I loved it so much that I just adopted it?
0: Yes, well, we can't sometimes remember now the differentiation between canon and fanon, where we're just like, mm, I don't even know, it's all mixed together. Now.
1: <laughs> it's very mixed together. But I think it just creates a better, like a better experience because it goes deeper than just what's on the TV screen. And because, yes, we have to sit and wait for years at a time to get a new season. But in the meantime, here's all these things that people have put together that allow you to live and relive these characters' lives in many different ways and allow you to continue to stay connected to those characters in that downtime. Because especially for someone like me, the ADHD will do its thing. And if it's not in front of me, I will forget about it, (laughs) so. Right,
0: right. That fan fiction kind of helps keep that in the forefront. Of the mind a little bit and keeps that interest in front of you a lot Mm -hmm. longer longer. than you would have
1: otherwise. Yeah, because there's new stuff every day. I mean, people are out there just writing like crazy. And every day you could log in and find something different and fall in love with a little bit more in that in that downtime between seasons. So
0: I am super curious about your thoughts with like Billy Hargrove and Grove in particular because like you know when i started off with stranger things i just thought it was cute you know i was like oh this is kind of cute i recognize some of this like 80s vibe and stuff i'm yeah. old enough to recognize a lot of that stuff but then <laughs> that season where they introduced billy hargrove like something happened to me okay
1: <laughs> like, a same
0: you know, and I'm I'm sitting there going like, yeah, I know this is supposed to be like the unlikable villain character of the season or whatever. I was so taken with the character and the backstory of the character. And then what fan fiction writers did oh, with that character, like, I die. Like, I can't even handle it most days because it's so beautiful what you fan fiction writers have done with this character. I think I started reading Herring Grove fan fiction at some point and fell in love with that, obviously. So I'm kind of wondering, like, what are your thoughts about Billy Hargrove and then, like, Herring Grove in particular?
1: Well, we've been having such a great time up to this point, And I feel like I need to preface what I'm about to say by telling you, I have always been firmly planted in the Billy Hargrove deserves better camp. I have loved Billy Hargrove from the moment he stepped out of that dang Camaro. Oh, such an iconic scene. Oh, it mm. has been... Over for me since then. Okay, the man can do no wrong. You know, he deserved better. I am waving the flag. I'm rallying the troops. If Billy Hargrove has one supporter, it's me. If there are no supporters of Billy Hargrove, it's because I'm dead. Um, <laughs> so I'm a I, I'm a little ashamed to say that the very first time I came across a herring grove thick, I was like, what? Nah no <laughs> that's not you didn't me. see it huh i did i couldn't see it and then so i scrolled past it and then it was like i'm chronically online so i'm gonna use a meme example here it's kind of like that meme with Brittany broski and the kombucha when she was like no well <laughs> <laughs> yes i love that meme i love it so much yes <laughs> and so i went back and was like we'll just We'll, we'll we'll give it a chapter and we'll see. And then I was sold. I was done. I was firmly planted in the Herring Grove camp. Herring Grove is so important to me in so many ways. But I think the biggest one is because you took two very different people that can still love and support one another in different ways. Like Steve and Billy had different childhoods, of course, despite the fact that you know, they're both traumatized with a capital T. Like, we're not going to talk about the fact that both of them have suffered enough through different experiences, but there was this draw to each other. Like, they hated each other so much that the fandom saw a spark and we were like, fan it, light it up, make it happen. <laughs> yeah. And I, that's what I love about it is the fandom took it, ran with it, We were given crumbs of context and we were like, we will make a feast. We are going to make this one of the most popular things, one of the most synonymous things with Stranger Things on the internet. But I love that it's these two people that are, they are traumatized. They've had these experiences, but at some point they connect on that level and they learn how to love each other in a way that the other person can see it.
0: Yes, I love what you say about them being two completely different people, two completely different characters. Because, like, even though they do have those points of connection where they have similarities, they are different enough in ways where, like, for some reason that really speaks to me. And I'm not quite sure why. I'm not sure if that gives me hope in my real life of, like, I'm not unlovable, someone will love me, you know, whatever. Just I love that concept of, like, The jock prepper guy, you know, falling for, you know, the grungy, you know, like tattooed rocker. You know, there's just something
1: about that for me. That's just like, oh, I I can't get enough of that. Steve Harrington also watched Billy walk (laughs) out of that Camaro and he was like, oh, I'm done. He's no better than the rest of us.
0: (laughs) Saw him walking away in those tight jeans (laughs) and just thought to himself, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. No, I love what the fandom has done yes. with those two. Like, I think that the way that fan fiction writers have treated those two characters. I went on this binge, you know, a couple of years ago, just a Herring Grove binge. And I feel like when I came away from that and kind of like came out of this haze, you know, I was in this haze for like months, you know, and I come out of the haze. And I just felt like, man, I feel like I know these two particular characters on this level that doesn't apply to all of the fandoms that I'm in. Yes. I don't think I know all of the characters and all of my fandoms as deeply as I know Steve Harrington and Billy Hargrove because of what you guys did with those two characters. So props and kudos, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Like swear to God, to the Herring Grove uh, ship fandom for what you guys did because it's incredible.
1: They've done some incredible work. I and I, don't include me in that because I I wrote what I wrote. But there are some Herring Grove fanfic writers out there who were carrying the fandom on their back, and they've done some incredible work. I can't even put myself in that category. <laughs>
0: Oh, see, and I can though. I can. Here's why, and this kind of like transitions us into the next part of the questions that I have for you because you wrote this entire series, <laughs> <laughs> but it started with you know one one fic. Yeah, it's uh, since evolved into the Little Buddy series, but you initially started that with the Little Buddy fan fiction, and it is a hair and grow fan fiction eventually. <laughs> yeah well you know i will always remember 2022 because of your story that's the year i remember little buddy oh my god and i fell in love with this thing so hard i've told you this before so many times but i'll reiterate it (laughs) for the people in the back you were so consistent with your posting schedule on this fan fiction If I recall correctly, it was like something like Tuesdays and Thursdays or something like that.
1: Something, yeah. Yeah,
0: it was something like that. And you were so consistent about it that I would wake up on those days and my first thought when I woke up (laughs) in the morning was, today is the day that a new chapter gets posted. And I knew that no matter what happened that day, if it was a shitty day at work, if I lost my shoes or whatever, you know, the <laughs> fuck happened, I knew I had something cool to look forward to. And that made all of the difference for me for months. Like you made my 2022, oh I just my have God. to tell you.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. And it's so it's so funny to hear you say that because I, when I first started posting the little buddy, I was just kind of, I thought I was just streaming into the void. And so I posted like two or three chapters a day for a few days. And then when I realized people were actually consuming it, I was like, okay, I've got to slow down because I'm going to run out of things to post. And I, across all of the years I've written fan fiction, I'm big on consistency. Like you said, I'm big on, I want people to know when stuff is coming because I do not like the well, when am I getting another chapter? Because I've, I've been that person and I felt that and I loved the idea of being able to reassure the people like you who were reading to be like, okay, yes, the chapter ended here, but you know you're going to get something else on a certain date. You know where the light at the end of the tunnel is. And so I moved to posting once a day and then I don't remember at what point I had to shift it, but it it was way far into it that I had to say, because at some point, the chapters got longer. Like, I, the, first, the first few chapters were, you know, two, 3,000 words, give or take. And they got to the point that they were, like, pushing five, six, seven thousand 7,000 words. And I was like, I cannot keep up with that. I spent a lot of time agonizing over moving away from posting daily to posting twice a week. So I don't know if you understand how healing it is to hear you say <laughs> that you enjoyed knowing what days it came. I did. That validates me a little bit. Because, you know, I do remember when you were posting daily,
0: and obviously as a person who was like ravenously reading like everything that you posted, I know as a creator, not necessarily as a fan fiction writer, but just as a creator in other mediums, that you can't really keep that up. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. yeah. Like, that's a very hard thing to post every single day. I do remember... That there was one point where you had put like a author's note somewhere where you were like, Hey guys, like
1: <laughs> I'm so sorry. We're not gonna
0: post every day anymore. But here's the days we are gonna post. And I remember thinking to myself, Oh, thank God, because this person must have burnt themselves out. You know what I'm saying? Like posting every day. Yeah. Easily you can burn out from that. And I didn't want that to happen yeah. because I was so into the story that I was like, they have a schedule now and they're not gonna burn out, and that's so much better. And You know, blah, 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 blah. So I was actually like relieved almost when you did that, because I was so scared that you were going to get tired of this and you were going to like abandon the story. Oh, no. (laughs) So anyway, like obviously I was super obsessed and I'm still obsessed with Little Buddy. It's something that I go back to and still reread because it's that great. There's a couple of different uh, ways I want to discuss this, but the first thing I have to know, like, I really want to know what inspired the first little buddy fic. So, if you could talk about what inspired you to write that particular story, that would be awesome. And then, um, maybe just for the folks who haven't read it yet, uh, just briefly tell us what the story's about.
1: Yeah. So let me let me start there. The little buddy is very important to me. I have never been so proud of a work as I am of the little buddy. It's about a lot of things, but I think at the very base of it, the little buddy is a story about how Billy deserved better. And if someone had taken 10 seconds to give him even an ounce of the care and affection that a normal person should get, he could have done great things. He could have had a great redemption arc. He could have become a better person. There are all these pieces of the puzzle that could have been put into place if somebody had just paid some attention to Billy. And the little buddy does it in a little bit of an unconventional way to some of the other stories that I've seen. But basically, after the battle at Star Court, Billy does not die in the mall, but Steve and the rest of the gang get Billy back to Steve's house. And then Steve kind of takes over to help Billy get the care he needs because no one else will do it and takes off from there and like most good Herring Grove fix we move from enemies to like hesitant friendship to okay maybe I don't hate this guy to okay maybe (laughs) maybe I love this guy (laughs) yes Um, the Herring Grove pipeline the Herring Grove pipeline it, it never fails but As far as the inspiration for the initial fic, and I can feel my friend cringing from miles and miles and miles away because I have tried for days to figure out a better way to say this, and she has begged me to not say it the way I'm about to say it. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, I'm intrigued now. (laughs) (laughs) And I I think I even, I have to go back and look. I think I even said it in the first author's note of The Little Buddy, is the the very initial spark of the idea for The Little Buddy came from while I was home, isolated with COVID, hopped up on so much NyQuil. And I was watching Stranger Things 3 because Stranger Things 4 was about to come out. And I texted a friend and I said, I have an idea. I'm homesick and I can't do anything else. So nobody can stop me. And I opened my laptop and I wrote out like, I think like the first eight chapters in the first day. Oh my God. I, it it wasn't even, and I know we talk, I know you want to talk about this a little bit more in detail later, but like, it wasn't even a conscious thought of like, oh, what am I going to write? Like it, it just wrote itself. And that was that moment that that spark ignited again. And I didn't want to put my laptop down because I was afraid if I did, the spark would go away. It was honestly, honestly, the little buddy just started as a fix-it-fip to make me feel better. Because I was sitting at home sick watching Billy get the absolute life beat out of him in season three. And I was like, you know what? He deserved so much better. So I'm going to give him better. <laughs> and that's where it... That's where it initially launched, and apologies to Seth because you wanted me to say this so much better than I just did, but that's, that's the truth, and I can't lie. I cannot lie. The best thing that ever happened to me was because I was hopped up on NyQuil.
0: Well, you know why? A couple of things about that. First of all, sometimes I do my best work when I'm under the influence of something.
1: <laughs> Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs>
0: sometimes I think that it just lets us get out of our own way creatively a little bit, you know?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're
0: kind of in that flow state, right? Yeah. And then you being sick, like sometimes the best inspiration is what we happen to be going through at that exact moment when we start creating something. (laughs) And so it's like, you can totally be in that headspace of being like, I don't feel good. Like, I wish somebody would probably just come take care of me. Right. And then, you know, feeling that same, like, compassion and connection for Billy because, yeah, when you sit there and you watch what he goes through on the screen, you're just like, somebody please come rescue this kid. And as fan fiction writers, you can actually do that, right? Yeah. You can just rescue them. <laughs> you, can. You, can,
1: you can. You can press pause on the episode and and close your laptop and say, this is where it ends. I'm going to pick it up from here.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I, I think that that's probably One of the many things that I connected with on the story and just one of the reasons why I fell in love with it so quickly is because I've always had those same thoughts that Billy deserved so much better. And if he had just like you said, if he had just received like a tiny little crumb of love, a little bit, things could have been different and they could have turned out different for him. And I believe that I'll believe that to the day I die. Same. And so it was like. I don't know. I want to call it like almost a healing experience going through your story because you give us the world where he has those things happen to him. You give us the world where uh, he does get taken care of. And, you know, you talked about doing things in unconventional ways, right, with the little buddy. And I feel like the trope that you used to tell this story was also a bit unconventional. At least it was for me at the time. Yes. If I recall correctly. And I think I am. But if I recall correctly, I believe that your story was the first fic that introduced me to the little caregiver trope. Really? This is a trope. (laughs) Yeah, that we have never (laughs) talked about on the show. I had never really encountered it before until I found your fic in 2022. Which is kind of funny because I'm all over fan fiction like all the time. You know, I don't know where, I've, where I was before 2022. But you know what I recall? Because I've been reading fan fiction since like 1997. And I remember back in the day there was this popular trope where one of the main characters in the fan fiction would physically regress to a child.
1: Yes, Mm -hmm. remember
0: that? I forget what we used to call them, kid fix or age regression fix or something. And that was a really popular trope for people to have like, you know, let's turn the character into a kid. But they would like physically regress into like a physical like five-year-old child. And I don't know why I didn't like those stories. (laughs) There were a few exceptions, but I didn't really like those. But then I encountered the trope that you used for Little Buddy and fell completely in love with it. And I think one of the reasons that I loved it so much, I have so many reasons, but one of the reasons why I loved it and I think it was brilliant that you used it was because, you know, as we're talking about Billy, you've created this universe where Billy gets the love that we think he deserves, right? There's part of me that feels like Billy may not have been in the correct heart space or head space to accept that without the trope that you used. Yeah. There was something about that that put him in a space where he was able to accept it or able to at least explore it before accepting
1: it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, Yeah. I
0: was really hoping that we could kind of like talk about the trope just a little bit because I'm so curious, like, was this a trope that you were familiar with for a long time before I was? I just want to know how you came across it for the first time. Why did you choose to use this particular trope? I'm so interested. And then what is the trope? Because I feel like there there are probably people out there who have no idea what I'm talking about when I say caregiver little trope,
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm not sure that I can adequately define it because I feel like part of what makes the caregiver little trope so interesting is that it can be very different depending on the writer and the characters and how they want that trope explored. But for me, and this was actually really helpful because somebody had commented on one of the really early chapters of The Little Buddy and they had said, they, they were basically like, I am so enjoying this, but I am very confused. What on earth is happening? Like, what is this? And I was like, you know what? Bestie, I'm also confused. I don't know, but here's my best guess in the way that I tend to write because I've written I've written both the Little caregiver Trope and I've also written like the kid fix you were talking about. I wrote those a lot as well, especially in previous fandoms that I've been in. But I, I think it all rolls back to the idea that, you know, you can look at a character who's been through whatever life experiences and just kind of pat them on top of the head and say, listen, I know you're messed up, but I'm gonna give you some cuddles and a stuffed animal and it's going to fix everything. <laughs> but um, the way I put it together when I answered that comment was that you have this caregiver little trope and littles are people who have a natural tendency to use age regression as a coping mechanism for whatever. They had a bad day at work, they had a bad childhood, whatever. And caregivers are the counterparts that are naturally skilled in helping littles when they're in that headspace, which is commonly referred to them being dropped or little. And these two are paired up because a caregiver has their cup refilled by helping people, and littles have their cup refilled by using that age regression coping mechanism. And obviously, when you use that age regression as a coping mechanism, there's a lot of things that you can't or don't want to do for yourself. And so that little caregiver trope is just a way to connect these two people so that they can both get what it is that they need. And I don't remember the first time that I ever came across it, but I, like I said, I've used it many, many times throughout my time as a fanfic writer, it's one of the ones that I'm most comfortable writing. And I would think if I had to guess, I'm pretty sure that, because I used to, especially back in like the Glee days, if we're going to hop back there for a second, I had roleplay partners and I'm pretty sure one of my roleplay partners was the one to introduce that idea if I had to guess. Because I don't I don't remember stumbling upon it in the wild. I feel like by the time I was looking for fanfic, that was one of the ones I was looking for.
0: Got it, yeah. I had never seen it before I saw your fic. And you know, obviously after I got into Little Buddy, I was like, I love this trope so much. <laughs> and so I just went crazy and I oh, went looking there's so for much. It.
1: There's so much good Caregiver Little in the Herring Grove.
0: Yeah, there's some others in Herring Grove that I found. And then I went searching, you know, (laughs) the dark corners of the web for like... Because I love lots of different fandoms and things. Yeah, absolutely. And I did my best. But like, surprisingly, there's not a whole lot of it, I guess, to my taste, you know, where I'm just like, I wish there was a lot more of this. And there's just not. But one of the things that fascinates me about this trope, though, is how structured it is compared to the old school, like, kid fix. Because what you're describing... This reminds me so much of the alpha, beta, omega trope.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Where it's like a structured universe, a known universe, right? Where like littles and caregivers are not just choosing to role play these roles, but like it is a biological function that they're born with. And at a certain age, you eventually learn what your designation is. And we use the word designation also in ABO fan fiction. So it's kind of like this really interesting alternative universe that has certain rules and structures to it,
1: yeah, and I think that's kind of why it's hard to define what that trope is because there's and if you if you've dived into the little caregiver trope, there's like you said, there's a lot of it that comes to a lot of different tastes it you can write it a bunch of different ways and Not to say that any of them are bad inherently, but there's just the one that I tend to fall back on and am most comfortable with is that one where you've got this structured, you are a little, you are a caregiver, you are a neutral, whatever that looks like, and you just fall into that. There's not, it's not role-playing. It's not like a conscious decision. It's just part of a biological makeup. It's a great place to be if, you know, because we've said we're big on the hurt comfort thing. Um, I've always been into hurt comfort in the way of like light on the hurt, but heavy on the comfort, please. Like (laughs) that's just how I end the look. And so I think that caregiver trope is really easy to fall into that because you have these caregivers that just inherently want to coddle and give attention to these people. And I think especially in the lens of Herring Grove, you've got someone like Steve who has been shown to be a very protective, very, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. You've got Steve who's very maternal in ways. And I hate, I don't like phrasing it like that because I know there's a lot of discourse in the fandom about whether or not Steve is maternal, but that's the only word I can bring to mind right now. And then you've got someone like Billy who never had the chance to be a kid just because his home life was what it was. And you've taken these two and you've kind of in, in my instance, I put them together because there was no other option, right? Billy couldn't go to the hospital unless he had a caregiver with him, and Steve was the only caregiver around that Max trusted to say, "This is what he is, and this is what he needs." He literally didn't have a choice. Yeah, he, he there was there was no choice. It was let me be his caregiver, or he's going to bleed out in my mom's car. Like there's there wasn't a there wasn't a choice, and it was kind of a forced proximity thing where. You kind of, I shoved them into a room and was like, okay, great. This is what it is.
0: Yeah. And I think that I really loved that aspect. They were sort of forced together by these biological designations a little bit, you know, in addition to Billy, you know, obviously being injured, you know, from the mall and everything, but I really loved how these two kind of had to confront things that they really had no control over because, um, you kind of start the story out by showing us how, even though Billy knows he's a little he's never really been able to drop. I think he dropped maybe one time involuntarily at his dad's
1: house. Yeah, and that did not end well for anybody involved. Yes, yeah.
0: It did not. And so he like never did that again. But of course, like you explain in your fic when you have this biological need to drop at certain intervals and you don't, you know, that can have adverse effects on your health. So here's Billy, like suffering a myriad of different ways, you know, not only healing from injuries from the wall, but he's also like, you know, psychologically a little uh, affected, right, by not dropping regularly when he should. And so it's one of those things where he kind of has to confront this thing about himself that he doesn't like. He doesn't like admitting that this is what he is. He denies it at first even because (laughs) it's like he doesn't want to claim it at first, you know. But he can't really run away from it either because it's literally part of who he is. It's biological. So the trope kind of forces him to confront that and lets you as the writer kind of explore that because there's no choice.
1: Exactly, I loved it. Oh, my
0: God. And then um, obviously, like, it is one of those things where you can go really heavy on the comfort part while also having some of the hurt part, you know, so like. You nailed it when you were like, Yeah, this is
1: kind of like the perfect, like
0: <laughs> the perfect ratio, you know, situation it's, for there's, something there's like that. There's a
1: pipeline from hurt comfort to a little caregiver that, you know, if you're lucky enough to find that pipeline, you've got a treasure trove of things waiting for you. <laughs> but it's just, it's one of those things that I feel like can be a little taboo, even still in fanfic writing um, as a whole. It's just, it's one of those tropes that people are either like, cool, great, this is awesome, or no, that's awful, I hate it. There doesn't really seem to be a ton of in-between. I've had people come along and be like, this is weird. Like, this is not okay. And it's like, okay, there's the door. It's fanfic. Don't get nasty about it. Like, it it is what it is. And people are obviously enjoying it. I'm enjoying writing it, so. But it, it seems like one of those things that people don't talk about because it's either so loved or so hated, and you don't want to come across somebody who feels opposite to you.
0: Yeah, that is another reason why it reminds me so much of the Alpha, Beta, Omega type trope, because it's the same dynamic. You either love it or you hate it. There is no in-between. There's no in-between. And it's not something that you would like voluntarily bring up with somebody that you know won't appreciate it, because that's just a recipe
1: for disaster. It's a recipe for disaster. Absolutely.
0: (laughs) I didn't realize
1: that the caregiver little trope was that controversial to that level, though. That surprises me. It can be. And I I think... Part of it is because there are so many different ways to write it. There is a whole section of like the caregiver little trope that's very sexualized. And, sure. And I think that's where people get it mixed up because there's a fine line between like the little caregiver trope and then a sexualized little caregiver trope. And then then you start running into that muddy water of, well, you've got an adult who's not in an adult headspace and you're trying to sexualize it, that's not cool, which that's not cool, but just, that's my opinion. And so a lot of people, I feel like write the trope off as a whole, because there's just that whole subsection of it. That's not seen in a great light. Does that make sense?
0: No, that makes total sense. And yeah, I was thinking, I wonder if that's the reason why, you know, and I can see that because there's already so much discourse in fandom about those types of things. And um, so I can totally see why that would be a controversial type of thing. But going back to something you said earlier, it's fan fiction, right?
1: <laughs> like, it's, yeah, At exactly. the end of the day,
0: it's fiction. These are fictional characters. You, nobody's actually getting hurt or anything. So like at the end of the day, live and let live, right?
1: Live and let live. Tags are a tag for a reason. Yes, yes. Read the tags. And also if you... And and I've always been very open about the fact that, like, if you have questions about what I'm writing, ask them. And, like, I had a, a commenter who, you know, a number of different times would bring up the facts that, like, you know, like, this is kind of towing that line because it, later on, you start introducing the fact that, like, not only are Billy and Steve, like, they've realized they don't hate each other. Like, they're starting to come to terms with the fact that, like, oh, shit, maybe I like this guy. And so it turned into this commenter, Saying things like, you have to be really careful to not blur that line. And it was like, I appreciate where you're coming from. Absolutely, I understand what you're saying because, yes, you have to watch that line. But I'm not too worried about it because I've been writing this for a long time. (laughs) (laughs) And so, but I think that's important too is like that communication of the fact that, like, you have to address the fact that, yes, there's that side, that sexualized side of the trope but we're not there. And if that's what you're looking for, great, but you're not going to find it here. And if that's what you're trying to avoid, great, come on in. Like, this is what we've got. Right, exactly. Tags exist for a reason. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) So, you
0: know, make good use of them, everybody, and we can curate our own experiences. Exactly. (laughs) I love that. So I'm so curious, like, I was thinking about Little Buddy this week and I was thinking about all of the different like scenes that were some of my favorites, you know, and I was so curious um, from the perspective of the person who wrote it, like what are some of your favorite parts of the Little Buddy fic or some of your favorite scenes?
1: Oh no, um, you know, that is a great question. One of my favorite scenes, I think, is the scene where... Steve takes Billy into the turtle enclosure at the aquarium, and I kind of feel like that's a cop-out answer because I think that's like the sweetest scene in the entire story. But that honestly was one of my favorites, and closely, closely followed by Steve's breakdown with Joyce. That scene is actually really, really important to me as well. Those are two of my when I go back, and because um, I end up having to. Go back and review what I've written for other fix or, you know, continuity things and things like that. Those are the two scenes that, like, I cannot go back just to do a quick reference check. Like, if I open chapter 50 to see something about the turtle enclosure, I will read the entire chapter again. There is no question. <laughs> How could you not, though? How could you not? Like, the whole thing. Those in the court scene, I think, were some of my favorite to write.
0: Yes. Oh, I, I love that. I absolutely love that. The whole aquarium chapter or chapters, it might be more than it, one chapter. It was, it was a span of chapters. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's more than one chapter. But like, I always think of that when I think of some of my favorite parts of the whole story, you know, when they take the littles to the aquarium. I don't know, Billy just being able to like see his turtles, you know, <laughs> there's yeah. just something. So sweet about that. I think I also really just appreciated the fact that I felt like you did a tremendous job with mixing the drama with the comfort.
1: Well, thank you.
0: There were times when you just could revel in the comfort and it just felt like, you know, snuggling under a warm blanket and it just feels so good to read. But then throughout the story, you would still sprinkle in these like moments of (laughs) drama. And I like that. Like, I like to be surprised with drama. (laughs) And uh, it was just delightful, I have to tell you that. The ratio that you included was just perfect. So, you know, it was just really great. I feel like the story has it all because you do have so many emotional scenes here. You just have scenes that just feel good, like the aquarium scene. You have moments of humor. It's just, oh, my God. I think I need to reread this. You know, talking about this has made me like super excited.
1: <laughs> you know, and I'm I'm a little biased, but I am also in the middle of rereading it because I kind of, after I finished Save from the Flames at the end of last year, I kind of backed off a little bit just because it was the holidays and, you know, I had family around and I was busy. And so I just kind of took a step back and I'm getting ready to jump back in. And part of that process for me is rereading what I've written so that I can remember kind of looking at a scene and going, okay, what did I do? I really like the scene. Do I remember what I did to make that scene work so well? Like, what was I listening to? What was I doing? Where was I? And so I'm rereading The Little Buddy currently. So I'm a little biased in saying that you should definitely reread it because it's a really fun experience. Even as the person who wrote it and I know it in and out, it's really fun to like just pull it up on AO3 and read it and experience it the way everyone else did.
0: Yes. And I love that you take the time to do that. I love that. You should, right? You should. Like this thing, it has so many chapters to it. Like I was amazed when you were finally done posting all your chapters. I was like, this thing is a beast. It is Holy a beast. And it like... was
1: never, it was never meant to be as long as it was. I don't know. Really? I, that, and I've I'll say this till the day I die. That story should not be as long as it is. <laughs> I love every word. I beg word. to differ. I love every word of it, <laughs> but that story is so ridiculously long. And uh, I had a friend making fun of me because she was like, you can't even call this slow burn. She said, we are 75 chapters in and the match ain't lit. Like, this is not slow burn. This is nothing.
0: <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. It's like a slow trickle. You know? Yeah, like... exactly.
1: It's like we're thinking about lighting a fire at some point. But to me, it was so it was so important to create that line of like, like to make it realistic in the fact that you've got Billy, who's traumatized and hurt and not accepting of this piece of himself as a whole and there was so much self-discovery for billy in the little buddy that it just it didn't feel authentic to put and i i know i sprinkled some little pieces in there where they both had these moments of like oh i think i might like him but it was really important for me to not jump into the romance side of it too soon because I really wanted to make sure that Billy fully explored what it meant to be himself outside of his, someone phrased it as the reign of Neil. And I I love that. And I've adopted that. but. I felt like it was really important for Billy to have all of that squared away before we even introduced the idea of Herring Grove as like a romantic ship.
0: Yes, that's why I say that it needed to be this long. I mean, I know it's a beast. I know, you know, that you can look back at it and be like, oh my God, like, what did I do?
1: (laughs) There are novels that are not this long, yeah. Yeah, I know,
0: I know, but that's part of what makes it so delightful. Like, when you do decide to go and reread it, as I do, from time to time, I get so excited because I know how many chapters I have to work with, yeah. you know, and I know how long it's going to take me to get through it. And I'm like, oh, this is at least a week, at least yeah. probably two. Right. If I like pace
1: myself and that's two whole weeks of enjoyment. Really? Like it, That's a gift. Well, and then you've got the follow up, too. You've got the sequel after that. So exactly.
0: Yes, because you added all of these other parts to make it a series. So, yeah, you can easily spend some time on this. But I love that you didn't just rush us in this story because I felt like um, it's the and This is one of the reasons going again back to what I said about why I put you on that list with all of those other like tremendous Herring Grove writers, because you did take the time to lead us very carefully through this process, Billy's process of exploring himself, what all of this means, how he's changing internally as a human being, how he's learning to accept himself with his limitations, with you know all of these other things, how he's healing. Those are important things not to skip over. So you didn't skip over them. Like you gave that to us. And so, like, I don't even care that this is like so many chapters long because it's, just, it's worth it. It's so worth it. It's so good. So I was wondering what you could tell us about the writing process for this story, because I know I mentioned um, earlier in the podcast that you were tremendously consistent with your posting schedule, which can be very hard to do sometimes, stick to a schedule and make sure that things come out when they're supposed to come out and everything. So I was just wondering like, what you could tell us about the writing process for the story. It sounds like it didn't end up where you intended, perhaps, when you first started. So I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts about that, about any surprises that came up for you
1: as you were working on this. Quite honestly, the entire experience was a surprise. From beginning to end. (laughs) From beginning to end. um, That writing experience was unlike any other I've had ever. Nine times out of ten, when I start a story, I have a fairly concrete idea of where it starts and where I want it to end. And a, a few key points along the way. But the little buddy practically wrote itself i was simply the means to an end i was just there to type into the google doc it was to the point that i was setting in my alarm in the mornings for an hour earlier than i needed to actually be up for work because i would sit up grab my laptop and write for an hour until my real alarm goes off okay so
0: you're saying that you would literally sit up out of bed you were just asleep five seconds ago. Absolutely. And you would just grab your laptop? Yes.
1: That's exactly what it was like. And because what would happen is I, you know, I would get up, I would write, I'd go to work. I would think about it all day at work, right? Like I would be in between stuff and going, "Ooh, well, I could do this. And I'd stick it in a, in a like notes app for later. And then I'd go home and I'd write until I literally passed out. Like I would sit in my bed and write until I could not keep my eyes open close my laptop, put it on my bedside table, go to sleep thinking about it, and I'd wake up and do it again. Like, it was out of this world. I've never experienced anything like that. Was it like that from beginning to end? Pretty much. Um, there were really? For the most part, I never really knew what was coming in the long run. I think there was a few key points that I knew what I wanted the end goal to be, one of which was I knew I wanted Steve to reach a breaking point and have a breakdown in front of Joyce. I knew I wanted that to happen. And I had to build the stepping stones to get there. So the whole, the garage scenes where Neil shows up at work while Billy's there, Max being angry and having her little breakdown about the fact that Neil's alive, but Hopper's dead. And then eventually Steve grabbing that knife wrong and slicing his hand open. All of those came as a means to get to that breakdown scene. So I had like that whole breakdown scene with Joyce written and I had to go back and figure out how to get us from here to there.
0: Yeah. So there were a couple of like strategic places in the story where you kind of had to, you know.
1: (laughs) Where I kind of had to get there. Yeah, but for the most part, it was all not, it, it, it just happened. I always knew from the moment I started, I knew I wanted it to end with Neil being put away in prison because I feel like a lot of the time and not that this is a bad thing because I hate thinking about Neil Hargrove just as much as the next person but I feel like there's a lot of times that Neil is just brushed off as far as fanfic is involved he runs off on a drinking bench and we never hear from him again or he dies or it's just kind of like yeah well we don't know where he went but I really wanted to see Billy get the satisfaction of knowing that Neil was going to suffer the way that Billy had for all those years. Billy was a prisoner to Neil his entire life. And so having that moment to sit back and look and realize that Neil was finally, finally, finally going to feel like what it was like to be Billy, that was really important to me as a whole.
0: Right. So you were able to work that in and able to make it an integral part of the story at the end. You say that you've never had this type of writing experience before or since, right?
1: Yeah, everything else has been very... And and before we get too far past that, I do want to back up and say one of the other, I feel like big plot points of The Little Buddy is that whole part where Neil shows up at the house and attacks Steve. I do have to be completely honest and give credit where credit is due. That was not my idea. There was a commenter that came along and was like, oh my goodness, what if this happened? And I said, bet, give me a week.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You made it happen. And I made it happen.
1: And so I just had to back up and make sure people knew that was not my idea. That was somebody else's. And I just brought it to life because it was an awesome, awesome idea. But as a whole, I've never, like, even after the little buddy ended, even moving into the one shots and stuff, those all were a little bit more intentional The season four rewrite was very intentional. That one took a lot of work to kind of make sure it followed season four. But I've never had a project work the way the little buddy did. The little buddy honestly just had like its own little hive mind. And I was just there to make it physically appear. It's the strangest thing that I'm not even sure I can put into words.
0: Yeah, that fascinates me on so many levels. Like, the way you describe it almost feels like a supernatural experience, almost. It, yeah. Channeling something from somewhere, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, that's I not don't a lot know.
1: of what it felt like.
0: Yeah. You know, maybe you were channeling the spirit of like Billy Hargrove or something. Like, I don't even know. I've never talked to any other fan fiction writer who's had that <laughs> happen to them before. So I'm so fascinated by that. And what an experience to have, you know, like, you know what that feels like to be in that zone. Have you had any, like, as you think back on that experience and look back on it, do you have any inkling whatsoever as to why that might have happened that way? Or is it just one of those things where you're like, well, that happened
1: and I'm really glad it did. But, you know, hell if I know. (laughs) I mean, the, the only thing I could think of is that because writing had been such a huge part of my life, previously that finally when that dam burst and that door opened it was like here's all the years worth of writing that I haven't done that's the only thought that I can bring to mind but I honestly don't know I it is hard for me to write I love writing I love telling stories but I'm a big mood writer so it's really easy for me to get writer's block. It's really easy for me to lose inspiration for a story if I don't sit down and do it right then. But with The Little Buddy, it was just like anytime my laptop was open, I was writing something. Like There was always a piece of that story to tell. And I, I honestly do not know where it came from. And quite honestly, I'm not sure where it went, but I would like for it to come back (laughs) because (laughs) I am hopping back into writing and I'm struggling a little bit, but it was an experience unlike any other. However, I will also say that it was an experience unlike in any other in the way that like I did nothing else. I slept, I worked and I wrote The Little Buddy that was it wow so this consumed you it consumed me i you know not pleased to admit this i (laughs) was late to a rather important function because i had to go back and fix something in the little buddy and i lost track of time and was late to stuff and I'm, I'm not going to say what, because in the off chance it ever gets back around to the person who was affected by this, I will actually rather just cease to exist. But I was <laughs> late to something super duper important because I was writing and lost track of time. <laughs> oh, my
0: God. <laughs> oh, my God. But you know what? When you get in that creative flow, though, I get it. I get it. When you're just in the zone and it is really hard sometimes to pull yourself out, especially if it's not a a place where you find yourself very often. Right. You know, because I get that fear you had described earlier, that fear of like, well, what if this goes away? Like, I have to take advantage of this right now. Because what if it's gone tomorrow? You know, and I get that. Oh, my God. What do they say? Strike while the iron is hot. Strike while the iron is hot. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Oh, my God. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us because like that's so fascinating to me. Uh, I did not know that about the writing experience (laughs) with the little buddy. And that's just I've never had that happen before. When you describe the way that writing normally happens for you, I related to it so much because I, too, am a very slow writer. I've never been in a zone before oh, that would be amazing. Just once.
1: It's really interesting. It's also a little terrifying because you do not know. Like to this day, I don't know what caused it. And I'm just like, I'm thankful for the experience and I'm thankful for what it created because I think it created a story that resonated with a lot of people. But it's just, it was unlike anything else I've ever felt. And it's just... Yeah, I don't know how to put it into words. Wow. You know,
0: that just like brings the whole experience to this whole nother level for me. Because obviously I was along with that ride, you know, with you not knowing exactly what was
1: happening on your head. <laughs> Y'all didn't know. I was like behind the scenes looking like a mad scientist 364 <laughs> days out of the year. I did the math when I finished The Little Buddy. I wrote for 120 days straight. There was not a day I didn't write
0: you're the ancient aliens meme the guy with the crazy hair you know <laughs> yes. and a little pegboard you know exactly. with the conspiracy theories on it <laughs> yeah oh my god oh my god that's incredible okay so that's kind of funny because the next question i was gonna ask you is like what did you learn about yourself in the process of creating this series so I don't know if you want to, like, <laughs> I'm not exactly sure what you want to say about that. But I, I was really curious to know if you feel like you learned anything about yourself that you didn't know before.
1: Um, yeah, I did. I I learned, and we kind of talked a little bit about this earlier, I learned I could still do it. I had not realized how much I missed writing fan fiction because I took all those years off and just kind of let it fade into the background I'd forgotten how much happiness and how much stress relief writing brought me. Um, and so I had kind of written it off as something that I would do as a teenager and I wouldn't continue into adulthood. And that was just a part of my past, but here I am. And I, I'm like 12 works into a series of fanfics that I've, I've never been as proud of something as I am of the little buddy. And so just the sheer, fact that I was able to jump back in and do it and do it well was really, really cool.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure that that was so helpful as you, you know, as you think about going on to like other projects and other things that you're interested in, to have that experience under your belt and be like, I did it. You know, I have proof that I did it. And yeah, sometimes, especially like you said, you had been away for so long that having that experience of being able to finish something so big, so big and comprehensive, you did it. You can do anything now.
1: Yeah. Oh, you know, absolutely. Hundred percent. I, you know, and I looked at I looked at a friend because we were talking about just how long the little buddy was, and all of its follow ups, even, are you know pretty lengthy. And I was like, I want to write a book. And she looked at me and she was like, You did? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Yes. If you add up all of the words comprehensively over the whole series, oh, yeah. there's
0: probably more than one novel in there. Oh,
1: 100%. It's an insane amount of words. And you had talked about this, and I think I messaged you about this, that there was a one of the podcasts that you did previously was talking about, and, I, and I'm going to mess up her Tumblr URL, but the Red Dress Girl, was that her name?
0: Little Red Girl. Little Red yes. Girl. There
1: it is. Her whole post that had gone viral about just writing fanfic and taking it deeper than that and that mega resonated I think that was what I had experienced in writing The Little Buddy is it's so much deeper than taking these two characters you like and playing with them like dolls like you're still writing something you're still creating a story and feelings and emotions and it was a really interesting experience to step away and look at it and realize that like yeah this isn't a novel with original characters that I'm ever going to go the avenue of trying to like publish it but that doesn't make it any less of an undertaking as you know any of these people that are publishing books it's still just as important and just as consumed as published books are I feel like
0: yes yes because right like what is the question right that her father asked her in that post yeah what are you actually writing about yes and you were writing about all of these like Deeply human emotions and deeply human experiences. I think a lot of us have had those experiences where we felt like we didn't get the love that we needed when we were growing up as kids. I think so many of us struggle with self actualization and self exploration, self acceptance, all of these crazy things. And, you know, so what? You used fan fiction as, you know, the medium for it, you know? <laughs> That's what you were writing about.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you did
0: it. I did the thing, yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so cool. I'm so glad that you mentioned that, too, because it was such a great episode just because uh, that post, when I first saw it on Tumblr, like, oh, I had to sit there and just stare at it Oh yeah. for a good five minutes
1: because I was just like, damn, like, (laughs) I love this so much. Yeah, when you had her read it out on the podcast, I was driving and... I was like, I have to pull over and contemplate this. Like, I have to think, like, this is deep. And I've never looked at it this way. And it was like an eye-opening experience to realize that, you know, all these years, like this little, you know, 14, 15-year-old me was sitting in my bedroom writing fanfic. And it was like, it was always deeper than that. It was always deeper than that. It was always more than that. And I'm really glad that I've been able to come to that conclusion now as an adult.
0: I am too. And I think that that's one of the messages that we keep harping on on the podcast, because I want everybody to remember, right? I yeah. want everybody to remember like what you do as a fan fiction writer is important. What you do matters. What you do has impact in the world because you're impacting real people with yeah, what you say exactly, and the stories that you are putting out there. And so don't ever let anybody tell you that what you do doesn't matter right? because it does. Thank you so much for that. This has been so much fun. I wish that we could stay like a thousand years and keep talking about all of these things. Um, But we do have to close out for the day. So my last question for you is, are there any other fan fiction writers that you'd like to shout out on the podcast today?
1: I thought about this for so long because, yes, there are a ton of them. First one that came to mind was Mourn the Antagonist on AO3. And I think they're the same tagline on Tumblr as well. But they have a ton of Herring Grove stories. They are one of the first places I go to look for Herring Grove fic. But especially, they have a fic called To Be So Lovely, which is a classification AU where Steve takes in Billy. It was so well written, makes my heart hurt for Billy in ways that I cannot even explain. And it was a huge stepping stone, I think, to me being able to write The Little Buddy. Just watch, like seeing the way they wrote it, and going from there and tweaking that experience. There's also Nobody Music 19 has a whole lot of Little Buddy stuff, and they hit the weakness of mine where they've got Hopper involved, and I'm I'm a sucker for when Hopper can be involved with Billy. There's also Cherry Rain Bowie. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correct, uh, but they've also got some really good classification stuff out there. And this isn't Herring Grove, but I, it cannot go without being brought up, is great unironic. They wrote the steady thick. the most remarkable thing about you standing in the doorway is that it's you. And I have never in my life cried the way I cried reading that story. Oh, wow. So it had that much of an effect. It was out of this world. To this day, just... I can't reread it because pulling it up pains my chest so deeply that <laughs> I can't wow. read it again. Wow,
0: it got you that good, It got, huh? it
1: got me. Okay, well,
0: we're going to have to put all those links up on the show notes. And if anyone wants a good cry. Just jot that yeah. down.
1: It is, like I said, it's not, it's not Herring Grove. It's Steady, which I would try also ship Steady an insane amount as well. But it is definitely for anybody who's into that. It's a, it is a must read, and I actually heard about it on uh, on TikTok. Somebody reviewed it on TikTok, and I was like, "It can't be that devastating," and was <laughs> sorely mistaken. Oh my goodness! Yeah, wrong in the best of ways, though. Wrong in the best of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because
0: I don't know about you, but like, I love when a fan fiction can make me have a good old cry. Oh, my like, yes. absolutely. You know, there's just something um, mm, something so good something about, about it. it. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Insomniac writer. This has been so much fun kind of digging into little buddy. And this has just been like a dream come
1: true for me. So thank you so much for being here. This is amazing. Well, thank you. This is a dream come true for me that I didn't know I had. So I really appreciate you reaching out and wanting to speak with me. And I've had so much fun. And I wish we could do this forever and ever because this was this was a ton of fun. So thank you.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Check out her stories on AO3. Give her some love. You can find the Fanfic Maverick online at fanficmaverickpodcast.com, on Tumblr at Fanfic Maverick Podcast, on Instagram and Twitter, at Fanfic Maverick, and I can always be reached at fanficmaverick at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and I will see you next episode. In the meantime, keep on rolling.